Hello, John Terrell of Cultic Cube here. I bring again some long-form content from the Cultic Cube YouTube channel here to the Chateau. A number of you have requested that I perform set reviews. Today we're having a crack at that, after a fashion. I run down the cards from Modern Horizons 2 that I am adding, and I speak a bit about their charms. I read the text of each card, but if you'd like to see the cards as well, please do tune into this content on YouTube. I hope you enjoy, and do let me know what I have missed and gotten wrong. Modern Horizons 2 has been entirely spoiled now, and I've been pouring over the set, picking out cards I want to run in my cubes. I've done just a bit of playtesting with a number of the cards as well. Today we'll take a quick tour through the many MH2 offerings that I plan to cube. Welcome to Cultic Cube, where we cube religiously. We make you better at cube, and make your cube better. Of my eight or so cubes, I am actively curating two, which have different goals and operate at different power levels. I will run through the MH2 cards that I plan to add to each of these lists. I will produce two documents. This first one will be devoted to one cube, and the second, well, to the second. Aleasis is my 450 card unpowered vintage cube, and it is the environment to which I often refer in my videos. It is low to the ground and macro archetype focused, and it includes some high power and hence high variance cards such as Tinker. In our next episode, we'll discuss Petty Nobility, which is my 450 card master's cube. Its power level is substantially lower, curves go higher, and it is micro-archetype focused. I'm adding 23 cards to each cube. Rather remarkably, there are only four cards that overlap between those two sets. MH2 has gifts for every cube, so I'll treat the cubes separately. So let's begin with the white cards I'm adding to Aleasis. Esper Sentinel is an artifact creature human soldier for a white mana pip. It's a 1-1. Whenever an opponent casts their first non-creature spell each turn, draw a card unless that player pays X, where X is Esper Sentinel's power. This card is a baby Thalia, Guardian of Thraben, and it's part of a long tradition of white cards that have taxing effects. If you've watched my primer on drafting white weenie decks, then you'll know how much I appreciate taxing effects in white aggro. I'm not sure that this card is good enough though. It is, after all, a 1-1 one, one for 1. You know, you could live the dream and do cute things to grow the card, uh, put some pants on it and so on. I'm not totally sure it's going to be good enough, but I want to give it a whirl. It's possible that it is a card that just needs to be answered by the opponent, otherwise it will act as a sort of one-sided howling mine, or as, uh, you know, granting you the monarch or something. Okay, our next spell is Out of Time. This is an enchantment for one white-white. When Out of Time enters the battlefield, untap all creatures, then phase them out until Out of Time leaves the battlefield. Put a time counter on Out of Time for each creature phased out this way. And it has Vanishing. This is a super interesting Wrath. It's, um, it's a, effectively a three-mana Wrath. And I know that it has some substantial downside compared to most sweepers and as much as the stuff will in fact come back. I think that's kind of okay though. Imagine you are playing against an aggressive sly deck that curves out on you and goes one drop, two drop, three drop, and you untap and go out of time. You hit those three creatures and you put them away for three turns. 
that's a ton of time for a control deck, right? That should give you enough time to find answers and set up for what you know is going to be coming later. This card looks to me like it could be quite good. Next we have Prismatic Ending. This is X and a white for a sorcery, and it has Converge. Exile target non-land permanent. If its mana value is less than or equal to the number of colors of mana spent to cast this spell. This is a card I have gotten to play with some. Uh, I was playing it in an Esper deck the other night and oh my goodness, it was this card was really quite good. It acted as a Swords to Plowshares, taking out a Monastery Swift Spear for just white and also taking out a token. It was, um, it was an Embalmed Honored Hydra. Took that out for a single white mana. That was great. Also, rather improbably, it took down a Jace the Mind Sculptor. So I was in an Esper deck and I had all three of my colors, but I also had a City of Brass, which I could tap for a fourth color. So this card is great. It scales well. It's not going to hit the biggest stuff in the world, but I think that's fine. It's, it's cheap, early interaction. I think this card is quite good. Okay, next up we've got Solitude. This is a creature, Elemental Incarnation, for 3 white-white. It's a 3-2. It has Flash. It has Lifelink. When Solitude enters the battlefield, exile up to one other target creature. That creature's controller gains life equal to its power. And it has Evoke. The Evoke cost is exile a white card from your hand. So this is a cycle of mythic Evoke creatures. There's one in each color, as I'm sure you know. Solitude is I you know I think I think it's an excellent one. So this is in fact a swords to plowshares of course sort of effect. It is a creature with an ET you know exile ETB thing like a fiend hunter or banisher priest, but the thing just goes away, right? Whatever you exile isn't coming back even if solitude leaves the battlefield, which is nice. It's got flash, so it can be this tricky thing. Solitude seems great. And of course it can be cast for free, so you know, you can two-for-one yourself to get rid of something that's extremely problematic. And you can do so at instant speed. Alright, for our final white card, we've got Timeless Dragon. This is three white-white for a 5-5 five, five creature dragon. It has flying. It has plain cycling for two, for two generic mana. And it has eternalize for two white-white. This is a card I was playing in that Esper control deck the other night. And it's a it's a fine Baneslayer Angel. I was able to capitalize on the Eternalize quite well in a couple of ways. Firstly, the Plane Cycling was nice in my Esper deck. So of course what you can do is if you've got this in your hand early, you can pitch it for the Plane Cycling, find the Planes, uh, and then later Eternalize it. And that was super helpful when I was looking for white mana. There's also a moment at which I discarded to hand size and, uh, you know, pitched, pitched the dragon and then um, eternalized it. So that was sweet too, not that that's going to come up that often. I think that this card is a totally fine card. It's, it, you know, it's interesting. It's fun. It's not necessarily one that is going to um, shake up cubes across the world, however. Now let's move on to blue cards. So for our first blue card, we've got Hard Evidence. This is a single blue mana pip. That's a sorcery. It says create a 0-3 blue crab creature token, and it has Investigate. This card, I think people are coming up on this card. 
which is great. At first, I didn't see a lot of excitement about it, but I think it's a, I think it's a, a really quite excellent card. And this is one that I've gotten to play with a little bit as well. It's a single blue mana to create a 0-3, to make a wall. And that's already useful, right? I mean, you're not putting it in the deck just for that effect necessarily, but that's already useful. It also replaces itself, although granted on this installment plan, so it's a little like a Thraben Inspector, of course, or it's like some child of Thraben Inspector in a Wall of Omens. It creates two tokens for a single mana. That's exciting. And creating that clue token for just a single mana on turn one can be excellent for artifact-based strategies. That artifact can be quite useful, of course. Also, this is a sorcery and not a creature. I think that's extremely important for a blue spell because as well we know, blue really loves instants and sorceries. This you can rebuy with your snapcasters or it will trigger all of your things that care about instants and sorceries like prowess triggers or your, I don't know, tall rands if that's relevant to your environment. This card is quietly really quite excellent and it presents a great bump in the road to aggro decks. Okay, next up we have Lose Focus. This is an instant for one and a blue. It has Replicate Blue, uh, a blue mana pip, and it says counter target spell unless its controller pays two. So this is a miscalculation effect. However, it's got Replicate, so you can keep copying this thing. And wow, this is really quite good. Lose Focus is another card I've tested a little bit, and as as I'm sure you would expect, the card is excellent, because on the one hand, it is a miscalculation, and I'm quite high on these taxing counters, mainly because I'm quite high on cheap counters in general. And in fact, if you go back and look at if you go back and watch the data analysis videos that I produced with, with some awesome friends on the data that I got from Watsi about play patterns around the Cultic Cube when it, it was on Modo, you will find that among the blue cards that had the highest correlation with uh, win rate was Sensor. Uh, and Sensor just taxes them for one, but of course it also cycles. Anyway, that's maybe neither here nor there exactly, but that's just to say that taxing effects, even ones that can appear quite modest, are excellent. And so this one is miscalculation at its sort of base rate, but it scales up, right? You can, if you've got more mana to dump into it, it gets better and better. So for instance, if you're paying cancel prices, if you pay one blue blue, then you can tax them for four mana. And that's pretty close to a cancel most of the time. I mean, we all know, I'm sure, how effective Mana Leak is. Um, so anyway, Lose Focus is a good card. And it has, I mean, it does all sorts of other stuff too. It's a good trump card in Counter Wars. It's great. Okay, next, Merktide Regent. Merktide Regent. So this guy is five blue blue for a three three. I know you're not impressed yet. It gets better, I promise. It's a creature, dragon. It has Delve. It has flying. So it's a, it's a Tomb Stalker, except in blue. But it's got some other text as well. Merktide Regent enters the battlefield with a 1-1 counter on it for each instant and sorcery card that is exiled with it. So as you delve stuff away, 
if you're delving away instants and sorceries, you'll be increasing this guy's power and toughness. And then it also says, whenever an instant or sorcery leaves your graveyard, put a 1-1 counter on Merktide Regent. That last, you know, probably doesn't do a ton of, ton of stuff all the time, but it can, right? And you've got this um, scary kind of threat of activation, potentially, right? If you can flash something back from your yard, or if your opponent suspects you've got a Snapcaster Mage or whatever. They have to be wary of your guy growing. Anyway, this card, this is another Baneslayer Angel. It's a Baneslayer Angel that you can cast for blue-blue, though, and that's a big deal. And it is a Tombstalker, as we've said, but blue Tombstalker is better than black Tombstalker because at least if your blue section looks like my blue sections tend to, I litter the section with cantrips, with inexpensive cantrips, I should say, the ponders and preordains and opts of the world, and with cycling cards and so on. Blue is very likely to have cheap cards that are that are going to the bin and that are allowing you to power out this Merktide Regent early and, and, and to beef it up. A card that it is pretty similar to that I only just got turned on to in the past several months is Ethereal Forager. This was from uh, Commander 20. And Ethereal Forger is 4 blue blue for a 3-3 creature elemental whale. It has delve. It has flying. Whenever Ethereal Forager attacks, you may return an instant or sorcery card exiled with it to its owner's hand. Um, I don't know which is better. I think I've played more with Ethereal Forager, obviously, than I have with this other thing, but it's still not just a ton. And I like Ethereal Forager. It's a, it's a little bit of a drag that it's only a 3-3 flyer. So it's great that it can regrow your instants and sorceries, but it gets trumped in the air pretty easily. It costs six instead of seven. You know, the Merktide Regent costs, costs seven. So that's a substantive difference, although we're delving the guys anyway. I don't know what's better. Anyway, I'm definitely testing Merktide Regent. Okay, final blue card is Subtlety. This is two blue blue for a three three creature elemental incarnation has flash has flying when subtlety enters the battlefield choose up to one target creature spell or planeswalker spell its owner puts it on the top or the bottom of their library and you can evoke this if you exile a blue card from your hand pretty similar to venser but you do have to hit something that is on the stack it does have to be a creature planeswalker i like that it's creature or planeswalker that's a nice upgrade to the essence scatter model or the remove soul model i like that tacking planeswalker on there you know this is a 3-3 flyer for for four if you're casting it in that mode that uh does this memory lapse kind of kind of effect and memory lapse is quite good right this costs four though I, so i think i'm hemming and hawing here i here's the thing i've played a tiny bit with subtlety and it it, it didn't it wasn't great for me, um, but I feel like the card is, well, I should say it wasn't great for me as it felt too expensive in the main mode. And I really didn't want to two for one myself to memory lapse something. Although I was in a sort of classic control deck when I was playing this and it might be more acceptable in an aggressive blue tempo strategy to want a two for one yourself in this way to keep something off the battlefield that's possible i suppose anyway i think i think this card is one that's definitely worth looking at and trying more 
I'm a little hesitant about it because also I don't like Venser and I haven't cubed, or, I mean, I liked Venser at some point in the past, but I haven't cubed Venser in years and years. Okay, so let's move on to black. Uh, before I get to the cards that I actually want to test, I want to give a shout out to Cabal Initiate. Uh, so let me back up and say that a while ago, a few months ago maybe, uh, I transitioned Eleasis away from broad support for Reanimator in black, and I moved much harder into support for black aggro. So the following card I'm not interested in for Eleasis, but you might well be uh, for your cube. So this is Cabal Initiate. It's one in a black for a 2-1 creature, human, warlock. And it says, discard a card. Cabal Initiate gains lifelink until end of turn. And it has threshold. Cabal Initiate gets plus one, plus two, as long as seven or more cards are in your graveyard. Uh, so it can become a 3-3. Three, three. Obviously, the big thing here is that this card allows you to discard at instant speed and to do so without having to untap with this guy. So here's a two-mana discard outlet that has to hit the battlefield and then that's sort of it, right? You don't have to wait a turn like with a merfolk looter or something to untap and loot with it. You just get to do it. And you can do it multiple times, unlike say a merfolk looter that can only do it once. This seems great. Of course, we've got other things that can do similar things like putrid imp and whatever, um, but yeah, more is better. And we've seen other two mana creatures that fill a similar role that are quite good. Like, uh, what is it? Olivia's Dragoons, I think it is. It's a, a two-mana card and it gains flying when you pitch a card. Is that what it is? I should just look up the card. One and a black for a 2-2. Two, two, and when you discard a card, it gains flying until end of turn. That's a fine card uh, that you're going to put in your reanimator deck when you need ways uh, of, of pitching your hand. This thing is quite similar. It loses out on evasion. That's not great. But the threshold is cool. And... Getting lifelink could well be relevant to, yeah, it could well be relevant to a more controlling combo we deck. Uh, okay, anyway, that's that card. Let's look at the ones that I'm planning to add. First up is Archon of Cruelty. Six black black for a six six Archon creature with flying. Whenever Archon of Cruelty enters the battlefield or attacks, target opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker, discards a card, and loses three life. You draw a card and you gain three life. So this thing is a classic Titan, of course, in the mold of the giants that we know and love, like Grave Titan and so on. Of course, this costs eight, but that's kind of beside the point because for me, this is something that you're cheating into play. I kind of want a big cheaty target in, uh, in black. I ran Shieldred for a long time, but then I haven't run Shieldred for a good while now. Because I was I, I was running that out of a sense of nostalgia, but I don't think that card is that great these days. In I mean, in my in my environment, it's too slow to get going. Anyway, this seems seems like you're going to get some good value out of it. All right, uh, onward and upward. Damn, this is black black. I guess this is this should probably be counted as a gold card, but here it is. Damn, it's black black. It's a sorcery. Destroy target creature. A creature destroyed this way can't be regenerated. And, oh, go down to your hats. It has overload for two white white. So, what a sweet card this is. It's spot removal in black. It's a Doomblade effect. It, it, you know, better in some ways than Doomblade because it can hit anything. 
worse, of course, in that it's two black mana pips to cast and it's a sorcery. But then also it's a Wrath of God, like it's, you know, it's a, it's a literal Wrath of God uh, when you overload it. Or a damnation, obviously, is the joke. Anyway, this card looks great. I love Wraths, as I'm sure you know. I jam a ton of Wraths in. And so here's a four mana unconditional Wrath. We don't get these every day. Is it a black card? Is it a white card? Is it a gold card? It, it sort of doesn't matter. If it's any one thing, it's closer to being a white card, I think. But you can draft this card without having to be able to play both halves of it. You definitely wouldn't have to be in Orzhov deck to draft this card and put it in your deck. All right. Next up, Delthy Voidwalker. Black, black for a 3-2 creature, Delthy Rogue. It has Shadow. If a card would be put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, instead exile it with a Void counter on it. And then it has the ability Tap. Sacrifice Delthy Voidwalker, and then you can choose an exiled card an opponent owns with a Void counter on it. You may play it this turn without paying its mana cost. Okay, so this is a sweet card. My goodness. This is a beater. It's an aggressive black card that's a great rate. It's black black for a 3-2. That's, that's good. And it has evasion. Quite good evasion, right? It's just in a Typical cube, there's not going to be a ton of stuff that interacts with Shadow. So this guy ha is sort of virtually unblockable a lot of the time. And then, my goodness, it's got this bonus text on it that is amazing and that can potentially be built around. It's not like super hard to build around it either in the sense the cornerstone for black aggressive decks, at least in my book, are hand disruption effects, your thought seizes and so on. So you can imagine going Delthy Voidwalker and then the next turn thought seizing them and taking some big thing of theirs. And then you don't have to do anything with it right now unless you want to, but you've just got this ability in your back pocket. Quite a good aggressive black card. I don't even feel like I'm selling this card as hard as I should because I think that this is an incredibly powerful card. Next up, we've got Grief. Two black black for a 3-2 uh, creature, elemental incarnation. This thing doesn't have flash. It does have menace. That's, that's not a substitute for flash, nor for flying for that matter. When grief enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it. That player discards that card. And you can evoke it if you exile a black card from your hand. So this is in fact a thought seize. It's a slow thought seize if you're hard casting the thing. You're two for one in yourself if you're if you're not hard casting it. I think this card is probably good, but not amazing. Four mana thought seize doesn't sound great, although it's attached to a three two menace. So that's awesome. When you're doing this on turn four, you're probably getting something, right? I mean it's likely that it hits something in their hand. Uh, I guess that's matchup dependent, if, but you know, seems like it could be a thing. And anyway, you can imagine a bunch of other shenanigans with this, obviously, right? If you play this thing and then you ephemerate it, oof, that's whew, that's that's bad for your opponent, right? I mean, you're just totally ripping apart their hand. So with blink effects, this is really good. Also, you could imagine magical Christmas land, where you're in a reanimator strategy and you evoke this early on and then you reanimate it 
it's sort of a shame that you can't that you're exiling something that uh, instead of binning it but you know because that'd be cute right if you could bin grizzlebrand when you evoke this it's not how it works though you'd be you'd be exiling grizzlebrand anyway and then then reanimate it i don't know this card this card seems okay to good i guess but i haven't played it okay final black card turok dread cantor um this is one and a black for a two one it's got kicker black black it's got pro white and it says whenever an opponent discards a card put a plus one plus one counter on this thing when turok enters the battlefield if it was kicked target opponent discards two cards at random wow so if you kick it and you spend one black 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 uh, then it's a him to Torok with uh, attached to a attached to a piker. Uh, well, attached to better than a piker, right? Because assuming it hits cards in the opponent's hand, it's going to be growing already and getting counters on it, which is great. This card uh, seems really quite strong. It requires pretty heavy devotion to black, right? I mean, you have to be able to get up to three mana pips to do the super sweet thing, but the super th sweet thing is super sweet. And it's nice that it has this flexibility that you can just run it out on turn two, and it can be a beater with a little bit of upside here and there, including pro white, which is not nothing. Also has the possibility to grow, but it's less relevant if you're not actively making it happen with the guy. Anyway, card looks good. Cultic Cube is supported by you. Check out the Patreon page where you can participate in the growth of the show and get access to cool material, such as articles and art assets. I also have affiliate relationships with TCG Player, Inked Gaming, and Amazon. Thank you for your support. Okay, onward to red. First we have Flame Tongue Yearling. This is red red for a 2-1 for a Kavu. I'll get it, we're, we're excited already. It's a Kavu. And it is indeed a little baby flame tongue Kavu, just as its name suggests. It has multi-kicker for two generic mana. Flame tongue Yearling enters the battlefield with a 1-1 counter on it for each time it was kicked. Whenever flame tongue Yearling enters the battlefield, it deals damage equal to its power to target creature. Wow, this thing is great. I'm already high on uh, creatures like Fire Imp, which, you know, is a... <laughs> It's a card that maybe doesn't look look so hot these days. It's a it's two and a red for a two one, and it deals it two damage to something when it enters the battlefield. That's a fine card in aggressive red sly strategies, I think. Anyway, so Flame Tongue Yearling does that, but for red red instead of two and a red, and it has multi kicker. So if you pay two red red, then this guy enters as a three two, and it deals three damage to a creature. Right, that's amazing. So, it, I mean, it's amazing that it scales, right? So you can dump as much mana as you'd like into this thing. Very good card, sort of unassuming. I don't know what I mean by unassuming exactly. I guess that it's a sort of workhorse card that's an upgrade to all of these other workhorses that we know and love and that we know to be good already. There's not much to figure out with Flame Tongue Yearling, you know, like the card is going to be good. All right, next up we have Fury. Three red red for a 3-3. Three, three creature elemental incarnation it has double strike and it says when fury enters the battlefield it deals four damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or planeswalkers and you can evoke this thing boy i wish this had flash it doesn't have flash 
It does have double strike, that's cool. This ETB is really quite good. As we know from other similar cards that do this kind of thing, like a Dragonlord Atarka or something that gets to spread its damage around to, to stuff, that's super sweet. It's not going to be hard for you to get a um, two for one or more out of this card. And then the double strike makes it a, a respectable threat, even if it does die to bolt. Five mana is a lot in red decks, but I think um, this is definitely one worth trying. And also the evoke is helpful because red decks are happy to trade card advantage for damage. It's a shame this can't hit face, but it can help clear the way for your creatures. I think this card is, it looks quite good to me. Looks like it has real potential. Last red card is Ragavan, Nimble Pilferer. This is just a single red mana for a 2-1 legendary creature monkey pirate. This thing's a mythic. So this is Kerry Zev's little pal. Whenever Ragavan, Nimble Pilferer, deals combat damage to a player, create a treasure token and exile the top card of that player's library. Until end of turn, you may cast that card. And it has dash for one and a red. Oh my gosh, you guys, such a good card. As everybody has already remarked, wow, has Jackal Pup come a long ways in the year 2021? This is just all upside, all upside, all upside. Uh, I played a little bit with Ragavan the other day, and I like this game. This may not be the average case scenario, but oh my goodness, I played the most absurd game where. I kept a hand with a single mountain and Ragavan, and I played Ragavan turn one. I won that game. I never drew another land. I never played another mana source all game, um, but Ragavan just kept <laughs> smashing face and creating a treasure, which was allowing me to continue playing and cast my cards and cast their cards. It's just a ridiculous card. Ragavan ran away with that game. I don't probably need to sell you on this card. It's this is going to be one of the best, one of the best one drops for aggressive red decks. It's a question whether Goblin Guide or Ragavan is the better one drop. I feel like it's still Goblin Guide, but I don't know for sure. <laughs> you know, like we should talk about it. Uh, okay, let's move on to green. Oh, first, yes, let me point out that. Uh, abundant Harvest. You you may well have been cubing Abundant Harvest already. I know I have been um, because it appeared in Strixhaven as one of those, I don't know, whatever they're called, special spell card things, even though the card hadn't yet uh, been printed in its home set. Anyway, Abundant Harvest. You could find it in Strixhaven with that special invocation art and frame. We're getting it again here. If you're not on Abundant Harvest already, you, you should be. It's an excellent card, or you should at least be aware of it. It's a single green for a sorcery. Choose land or non-land. Reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a card of the chosen kind. Put that card into your hand and put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So what a cantrip for green. Uh, just such an excellent card. Single green mana replaces itself and replaces itself with what you want, more or less. You've got some choice in the matter. It's very good. Okay, super high on that card. Moving along, Ennoble Hierarch. Single green mana for an 0-1 creature, goblin, shaman. It has exalted and it taps for gen colors. Tap to add black or 
uh, red or green. There's not much to say about this card. It's Noble Hierarch, but in Jun, it's going to be great. Noble Hierarch was a great dork. That's it for green. Okay, let's move on to gold. Dacon Shadow Slayer. This is a Planeswalker. It costs white, blue, black, so Esper colors. He's got zero loyalty printed in the bottom right, but he says, Dacon enters the battlefield with a number of loyalty counters on him, equal to the number of lands that you control. That's cool. So, well, I mean, you could power him out faster, I suppose, but you imagine that he's gonna be at least three loyalty. His plus one is Surveil two. His minus three is Exile Target Creature. And his minus six is you may put an artifact card from your hand or graveyard onto the battlefield. So, I don't know. It seems whatever. So, it's sort of at base, this is Esper Colors to exile something. That's not just insane, but if you can exile them and then also surveil, uh, that's that seems good. And if you draw this thing late, it could have a huge number of a huge amount of loyalty. That would be cool. And then you can just like exile, exile. How great would that be? Dacon, I don't know. I'm, I want to try this thing out. I'm wary of it. It is three colors. I'm, I dislike gold cards to begin with. Gold cards that are more than two colors, I'm really quite wary of. But I, w- I want to give this thing a go. My sense is it's probably kind of it looks kind of medium to me. I'm not over the moon about this thing, but I I will test him. All right. General Ferris Rokarik, maybe? The It's one red, white for a 3-1. It's a legendary creature, human soldier. It has hexproof from monocolored. That's interesting. And whenever you cast a multicolored spell, create a 4-4 red and white golem artifact creature token. It's sort of hard for me to say how good this thing was going to be. I'm curious. Boros, I don't know, Boros is kind of, I don't know. It's hard to get super excited about Boros spells for me. What am I running right now? Figure of Destiny and Rip Apart. Is, that's that's what I'm running in my Boros section. Uh, so this thing, it's, it's only got one toughness, but it is sweet that it doesn't get bolted. It doesn't get shocked, right? It doesn't get doom bladed. Uh, doesn't get pathed, all those things, right? Just miss it. You have to spend gold to get rid of it with a spell. This thing can't really attack is, of course, a problem. So this thing is sort of oddly a kind of enchantment, I think, right? That like in a pinch can attack or can block, of course, which is nice. But it's sort of like an enchantment that whenever you cast a multicolored spell, you get to create a 4-4 token, and that's sweet. So I don't know how good this is on balance. In fact, as I'm talking about it more, I'm kind of talking myself, uh, talking myself down on the card. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see how it is. Okay, uh, next. Oh my gosh, this thing, Grist the Hunger Tide. You've seen this card, haven't you? It's a crazy card. One black green for a planeswalker called Grist. It starts with three loyalty. Okay, so let's pause already. Uh, This is a three mana value Planeswalker. Our ears should be perking up already, as as I'm sure yours are. Three mana Planeswalkers are excellent, typically. I mean, I say all this, but then I was saying Dacon looked a little medium to me. But Dacon is three colors, three mana. This this thing is two two colors. Um, 
Anyway, it looks crazy to me, so let me read the card to you. As long as Gris the Hunger Tide isn't on the battlefield, it's a 1-1 insect creature in addition to its other types. That's huge. That's huge, right? So this means that you can natural order for this thing, for example, right? You can natural order your dork and put Grist onto the battlefield. That's crazy. You can search it up with your green sun zenith or something. Uh, anyway, there's lots of ways that green decks can interact with this in positive ways. Also, you could do things like reanimate it, right? Because that's just when it isn't on the battlefield. That's a creature. All right, that's just a static static ability on it. Now, its plus one is create a 1-1 one, one black and green insect creature token, then mill a card. If an insect card was milled this way, put a loyalty counter on Grist and repeat this process. So, you know, that's not likely to be super duper relevant, but its plus one does protect itself and makes a little, makes a little thing. Its minus two is you may sack a creature when you do destroy target creature planeswalker. That's cool. That's a little Vraska kind of thing. Or um, what's his name? The Rakdos were oh Doretti, right? Rakdos Doretti. And then its ultimate is minus five. Each opponent loses life equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. Ugh, I don't know. Anyway, this card. Card looks very good, very good indeed. It's mainly, it's a three mana planeswalker. So it's almost certainly good to begin with. And then that static is crazy. And I think that I just listed some of the first interactions that come to mind. You're probably dreaming of even cooler ones already, and that's awesome. But I'm sure we're gonna find awesome things to do with Grist. Okay, let's move on to a couple of artifacts. Uh, number one is Liquid Metal Torque. This is two generic mana for an artifact. It has tap, add a colorless mana. It also has tap, target non-land permanent becomes an artifact in addition to its other types until end of turn. This is a two mana mana rock and two mana mana rocks are great. They're great. It doesn't enter tapped. That's cool, right? There's a bevy of these that enter tapped, but of course plenty that don't as well. Doesn't tap for color, whatever, doesn't matter. If you're looking for more two mana rocks, this is one that does what it says on the label. The second ability is cool too. So this came up the other night when my friend with whom I was testing some of these cards had in his deck Tezzeret Artifice Master. That's the Tez that can zero to draw a card or can will draw two cards uh, if you control three or more artifacts. My buddy used Liquid Metal Torque to to turn on, um, you know, Metalcraft effectively. That was kind of a sweet thing. This can do some Metalcraft type stuff or give you more, you know, up your artifact count, which can be useful for, I don't know, for other reasons, like cranial plating or something, right? Or help Tolarian Academy make more blue, but you're trading the blue for the generic mana. I don't know, but that's that useful. Anyway, all of that's cool. But also, of course, you can target opponents' things, make them an artifact, and then if you've got some shatter effect in hand, like you've got a Rex Sage or something, then you can shatter their big creature or something. That's sweet. Anyway, that card, card looks good. Okay, finally, last card, Ornithopter of Paradise. Two generic mana for an O2 artifact creature Thopter. Has flying and it has the ability 
to nobody's surprise here, tap to add one mana of any color. Here's another two mana rock. There are pluses and minuses, <laughs> you know. Pluses include that it taps for Wooburg, like a Birds of Paradise, obviously. And it's a Birds of Paradise that is colorless, can go in any deck. Disadvantages, it's a creature, so you can bolt the bird and you have to wait to use it till you untap with it because it's got summoning sickness. It's super rare to get a two mana artifact that taps for any color, right? Examples aren't just springing to mind. Maybe you can think of examples. This is probably not as good as green two mana options for doing this kind of thing, even among green's creatures, leaving aside the naturalizes of the world and so on. Right, like Sylvan Caryatid is probably a better card for being hexproof, but you know, this is colorless, so that's that's huge game. This seems like the, this card kind of does what it says on the label too, and what it does on the label looks great, and lots of decks will want it. Okay, well, thanks for taking this tour with me through the MH2 cards that I'm going to add to Alaysis. All of these cards have to be uh, cards that are powerful on their own, and they don't have to be especially synergistic cards necessarily. So these are a lot of high-powered cards. In our next installment, we will be looking at the cards that I'm adding to Petty Nobility, which is much more interested in the micro-archetypes, and the cards that go in there will be less rawly powerful on their own, but will be good role players in particular archetypes and ideally, of course, across multiple archetypes. Find different ways of intersecting with different plans. So stay tuned for that next time and let's keep hanging out in Chatting Cube. Mm-hmm.